Welcome everyone to episode nine, episode nine of the season, season three of the Northern Spin podcast. I'm Michael Taylor and by day I'm the editor of Business Desk here in the Northwest. And here's my happy, clappy, conservative presenter, Chris Maguire, who's never happier than when he's sharing good old conservative good news, although he must have lost the Easter egg hunt, judging by the angry messages that he's been sending me over the weekend on WhatsApp. Chris. No, thank you, Michael. Thank you. Uh, I like good news of any description. Now, one of our listeners, Andrew Charnley, MD of uh, Assets Capital, likes your Burnley accent. Which That's because he's a Blackburn Rovers fan. Which is a worry. Not the fact he's a Blackburn Rovers fan, that he likes your Burnley accent. Now, I'm the executive editor of Business Cloud and Tech Blast. Our loyal listeners will be relieved to know that normal hostilities will be resumed today. It's the end of Lent. You've given up being nasty to me. But if you have the audacity to defend the adverts, demonising Rishi Sunak on law and order, oh, poor then Rishi. we're going to come to blows. Um, now, this is how Labour can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory at the next general election. You heard it here first, Michael. That advice is free. Well, I look forward to it, Chris, along with your weekly defence of Lee 30P Anderson on his uh, cruising on the canals of the north of England, which he challenged anybody to say, if you want to criticise me going on a barge... Like, like literally who would. Yeah. Anyway, you'd be making a few headlines of our own this week? Yes, we have actually. Yeah, yeah. he went on a two-day canal trip, actually. Um, James Mitchison, editor of the Yorkshire Post, sent us a nice message after we featured the story last week of how Simon Seven Weeks Clark and Ben Blocker-Houchin have targeted him and the YP after he had the audacity, the front, the brass neck, to run a story about dead crabs and crustaceans washing up on a northeast beach. Yeah, that's nice. It's always good to give credit to other journalists and uh, applaud the great work that they do. <laughs> um, yeah, I noticed the front page headline of Saturday's Yorkshire Post, Scientists to Analyse Die-Off of Shellfish. Apparently, researchers from universities in Newcastle, York and Durham will be taking samples from the bed of the River Tees and several other sites to see if the dredging of the Teesside Freeport could be linked to the die-off of these shellfish. Frankly, Chris, I think Simon Seven Weeks Clark has done ever so much to um, actually amplify this story even more. Yeah, if you really want to keep a story going, have a go at the editor of the newspaper. That's yep, my so, advice. Yeah, good, good. So what else have you been doing? Well, especially pleased by this one, actually, because uh, Emily Maitlist, former BBC presenter, now one of the co-hosts of the News Agents podcast, has sent me a very nice message. Oh, very good. What did she say? Well, Explain. I, I tweeted Emily Maitlis and John Sopel, who's one of the other presenters, to say that their podcast, The News Agents, have been excellent all week last week. I listened to it all. They did some really good insight on Donald Trump's appearance in court, which I thought was fascinating, and the arrest of former SNP chief executive Peter Mullen, who, as you know, is Nicholas Durgeon's husband. Um, and anyway, Emily uh, sort of uh, actually retweeted my post and said, listen to this, so lovely to hear, thank you, means a lot well i think you're in there that's brilliant yeah, yeah you'd yeah. be claiming she's your best mate now yeah absolutely it's just two podcast giants going head yeah, to head yeah, good that's great so what anyway right come on cut to it what are we talking about on this week's episode of northern spin well we'll be talking about the demise of scott benson's career after the tory blackpool south mp was filmed by undercover times reporters offering to lobby ministers on behalf of the gambling industry. I know you were very sad by that, given such, you're such a fan of Scott Benton. Uh, I know you want to talk about why, in your view, the gambling industry is so bad, and I've got views about MPs taking second jobs. Yeah, we'll also be talking about a social media advert the Labour Party did last week, which everybody's been losing their minds about, saying Rishi Sunak 
did not think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison. Chris thinks it's outrageous. We're also going to be talking about Carol Vorderman and how she handed Lee Anderson his ass on a plate and the case of the former BBC Newsnight and Channel 4 News journalist, Paul Mason, and his desperate quest to become an MP. Now, we've got our usual thank yous, starting with What Media, who expertly produce our podcast every week. They're the kings of video content creation, and they turn our weekly ramblings into the hit weekly podcast that is Northern Spin. We've had a 4.9 star review out of five. That's that's our average, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. And that's largely down to what media and the amazing work that they do. Incidentally, thank you to Ben Woolrich for our latest five star review. He said... Just started listening in reverse order. Fantastically well presented with great current content moved on seamlessly throughout. Well, thank you very much, Ben. And I hope you continue to listen to the Northern Spin podcast. And thank you to What Media for all the great work you do for us. And with that, we're going to go to an interval. Oscar share Northern Spin's commitment to integrity. Oscar is a growing and award-winning recruitment consultancy delivering talent across multiple sectors, including tech, digital, life sciences, energy, and construction. They've got bases all over the world, and when it comes to tech recruitment, Oscar is the name you can trust. Welcome back. Let's talk, Chris, about Scott Benton, a familiar name to listeners of the Northern Spin podcast. And it's important that we throw the story forward, but let's recap a little bit about why Benton's on the naughty step and he's had the conservative whip removed from him. It's also worth reminding listeners that this story comes against a backdrop of an investigation by the campaign group led by Donkeys, which filmed Quasi Kwarteng, Matt Hancock and Sir Graham Brady offering to work for a fake South Korean firm for 10 grand a day. Yeah, I think Kwasi Kwarteng and Matt Hancock wanted 10 grand a day. I think um, Brady wanted 60 grand a year. But anyway, um, we're splitting hairs. So Scott Benton, you know, one of our favourite MPs, has only been an MP since 2019. So despite his lack of experience and his lack of anything, he's very outspoken on social media, describes himself as a slayer of woke. Uh, there's no mention, incidentally, of his troubles on his on his timeline on Twitter, I noticed. Yeah. He was suspended by the Tory party after the Times published a video of him offering to lobby for a fake firm. Mr. Benton was secretly filmed saying he could table parliamentary questions and leak a confidential policy paper in advance of it being released. Now, I listened to the audio. Benton can't stop talking. He keeps digging himself into a hole. He also revealed that MPs don't have to disclose hospitality if it's less than £300. So he joked that racing tickets he'd accepted often came to £295. Here's a quote from uh, what the Blackpool South MP said. Without saying too much, you'd be amazed at the number of times I've been to races and a ticket comes to £295. Insert can laughter there. Now, Benton said he'd contacted the Commons authorities after the meeting to seek advice because he was, quote, concerned that what was being asked of me was not within parliamentary rules, close quote. Anyway, the Conservatives removed the whip from Benton whilst an investigation is ongoing. And now, I know you're going to write to his defence, Michael. What's your view? Well, there's two things going on here. One is Benton himself and his lack of adherence to the rules, his lack of a moral compass all of his own, and who he was prepared to go and go into battle for. Let's just set some context here. Scott Benson is a culture warrior, an outspoken loudmouth on the thick right of the Tory party. 
and he claims to speak up for the white working class of the North. And yet here he is, bang to rights, as a paid corporate shill for the betting industry, willing to go and do even more bat batting for betting. See what I did there? Yeah, I like that. He's the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on gaming and betting. So this wasn't a random sting. You know, it's something he's got, he's got form for. Interestingly, he also sits on an all-party parliamentary group for Saudi Arabia. Well, why would he do that? What, what possibly links a councillor, formerly a councillor from Yorkshire with his big shiny white teeth. Yeah. He represents people in Blackpool and he sits on a committee with friendship for Saudi Arabia. I'm not going to penalise him for having white teeth, to be fair to him. No, I, I definitely haven't. Anyway, as the New Statesman reported last week, because uh, it's important to give credit to journalists like Rachel Wearmouth, who wrote a really good analysis piece about this. Um Blackpool residents have been significantly impacted by the gambling industry in recent years. And of course, Blackpool wanted to re, um, reimagine itself as a casino town. In 2016, the Blackpool Gazette reported that £175 million has been gambled in Blackpool in a year. The Lancashire Evening Post has investigated the devastating effects of high stakes betting machines in Lancashire. And research at the University of Bristol revealed that the most deprived parts of the UK, including Blackpool, which has some of the most the poorest wards in England, uh, the number of betting shops outnumber um, than they do in the most affluent areas. All the while, the people who lose, who suffer and have their afflictions made worse are actively undermined by their own MP. The other thing that struck out from this shoddy, shoddy episode is, is his cheap his cheapness. I mean, he was willing to do this for not very much money at all. And his willingness to be actively corrupted by one of the most pernicious lobbying machines in Westminster. So, yeah, what do you think? Well, I think, um, yeah, I think very strong opinions there. Actually, I must just mention, I read a really interesting article in The Observer at the weekend. I don't okay. know if you saw it, um, but we'll discuss that later. Um, so Scott Benson, it comes you to no re surprise. You read in The Observer? <laughs> Turning into a, no, one of the metropolitan actually, listen, liberal elite, Listen, Lent's over. You can start being mean to me again, which you are. So it's no surprise that uh, Scott Benson should have been caught out. When I heard, you know, an MP's been caught out in a sting and they said Scott Benson, no surprise there. Very opinionated, comes across as very arrogant, uh, very glad the choice whip was removed from they didn't really have much choice it's all about second jobs really and whether MPs should be allowed to have second jobs see back in the day it wasn't unusual for MPs to have second jobs back in the 1990s the commons didn't start their working day until 2.30 which allowed a lot of MPs who were solicitors journalists or doctors to work in the morning and the early afternoon and then go and work at the MP uh, go and work as an MP in the afternoon but then you had the expenses round everything else that followed so they tightened the rules up a lot um, now Labour want to be seen as a party that would restrict the outside interests and earnings of MPs. If you're a minister, you're not allowed to have a second job. But but the backbench MPs clearly do. And it's no great surprise that most of these backbench MPs who are working as second jobs are Conservatives because they're the party in government. Yeah. So what are the figures on this? Well, there's uh, the website Parliament UK say that of the 180 MPs with additional jobs, 112 from only two-thirds are Conservatives by comparison 43 are Labour. I noticed another figure that said since the 2019 general election, Tory MPs have earned £15.2 million from second jobs, which is, yeah. I think, a fraction of what the Labour Party have earned. It's worth distinguishing it, isn't it, as well? I think you, you would probably count someone like David Lammy who does a phone-in on... Um, LBC. Is that a second job? It's a way of connecting with the public. People often get paid their invoice for doing a speech at an event. I remember years ago, our local MP, Andrew Stunnell, who's now Lib Dem peer, he used to do speeches and he always accepted a fee, but he always donated it to local charities. Is that 
I don't know. Yeah, I think MPs got, should be doing speeches. Yeah. It's a way of connecting with, with the public. I've not got a Or problem. writing books. Well, you mentioned um, 30p Lee Anderson. He does a lot of speeches and gives quite a lot of that money to charity. But, yeah. um, I mean, this all came to the fore, of course, with Tory MP Owen Patterson. Yeah. And uh, he was found to have broken parliamentary rules by using his position as an MP to benefit two companies he was working for and his advisor. And he was paid £100,000 a year on top of his common salary. I mean, MPs are paid £84,000, What is a reasonable salary for an MP? A lot of people think that's not enough. What's your view? I, I think it's absolutely bang on. I think um, it's enough for them to live a professional life. They get expenses for travel. They get allowances to pay the interest on a mortgage for a... I mean, sometimes it gets called a second home and it, and, and that obviously gets conflated with people who, you know, rich people who have second holiday homes. You know, they need to be in London and they need to be in their constituency. I think that's reasonable. Um, so I think that there's a lot of expenses built into that. And I, yeah, I think it's a fair wage. Where I think it's completely indefensible for Scott Benton is that his job is to represent the interests and concerns of his constituents. Now, if he's got a second job, and we don't know how many other jobs he's got, incidentally, and how many other sources of income he's got, he's certainly doing quite a lot of uh, hospitality. Um, but, but is he representing the interests of his constituents while he's working as a second job? I don't think Scott Benton is. I don't think Owen Patterson did. I don't think Matt Hancock is. I don't think Kwasi Kartang is all the time they're having conversations with fake South Korean companies to sit on advisory boards. Yeah, or going in the jungle like Hancock and Nadine Doris did. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I can't justify that. No, I can't justify it. Well, I can justify it. And you mentioned a few examples, um, perhaps like David Lammy and presenting uh, TV shows and radio shows, is that there's some doctors as well, don't they? They do work extra shifts to keep their to keep their professional accreditations yeah. in order. Yeah, I, I, I kind of can go along with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's a well-paid job, Chris. There's no reason why MPs should be grifting for anyone else. Um, obviously, there's distinctions between professional people keeping up their hours, Um Rosanna Allen Khan is one who springs to mind, who's a practicing GP who still does the occasional shift in A and E wards. And I think that actually helps her, you know, understand the daily lives of doctors and and what it's like working in the NHS. But it's that's a complete contrast to people like Patterson and Benton effectively taking backhanders. Um, anyway, where are we going next with all of this? What we're agreeing too much. Come no, on, this are. is not, this is not okay. what the listeners want. Okay, so the thing is. We thought for a long time, there's no way the Labour Party, or they're not being complacent, there's no way the Labour Party can not win the next general election. I can see a way how the Labour Party can lose. And, and this is it, right? Okay. So last week, there I am, looking down my timeline on Twitter, doing my research. Labour published an advert on social media which showed a photo of Rishi Sunak next to a fake signature and the words, let me read the words, do you think adults convicted of sexually assaulting children should go to prison? Rishi Sunak does. Under the Tories, 4,500 adults convicted of sexually assaulting children under 16 served no prison time. The caption accompanying the campaign graphic says, Labour is the party of law and order. Now, you've always said, Michael, the Tories are the nasty party. No, I said the Tories are in danger of turning into the nasty party. Well, Labour... the nasty party is back. Labour in danger of becoming the new nasty party. A couple of things, a couple of facts, a couple of facts that I think you know are quite important in a story... Boris Johnson last year, when he said that Starmer had, quote, spent most of his time prosecuting journalists and failing to prosecute Jimmy Savile when he was in charge of the uh, prosecution service. That was wrong. I said it was wrong at the time. It was a cheap shot. I didn't agree with it. This figure referred to in the advert of 4,500. That's from 2010. Rishi Sunak became an MP in 2015. So it's not even accurate. How can it be Rishi Sunak's fault? Now, you'd expect... Tories like Rory Stewart um, to say that. But this is a quote from Labour MP and former Shadow Chancellor, 
John McDonnell. This is not the sort of politics a Labour Party of its own values and preparing to govern should be engaged in. We, the Labour Party, are better than this. John McDonnell, I never thought I'd be agreeing with you, but I am now. Michael, surely you, even you, with your Labourish tendencies, cannot defend this Labour tactic. Well, frankly, I'm not, I don't think anyone in the Labour Party should be taking lectures from John McDonnell, who urged people to go out and lynch Esther McVeigh when he was shadow chancellor and um and also he was the he was the the part of the leadership team that took labor to its worst ever defeat so it's mcdonald's fault is it this advert well, what's john mcdonald got to do with this advert well, john just... mcdonald john mcdonald led labor to a crushing defeat so i don't think they should be taking any lessons in campaign management from him i think it rather nullifies his argument whether he, whether he's right or not is a slight on on the on the optics of it he's slightly is a moot point. But at the risk of saying, well, they started it, here's some important context. All the Tories have got, frankly, after 13 years in power, is personal attacks. As Lee Anderson has admitted himself on videos, yeah, we're going to keep wading in with all this culture war stuff because it's all they've got. And Sorella Braverman has doubled down on her nasty attacks on lefty lawyers who's Labour led by, a lefty lawyer, and dredging up the issue of grooming gangs recently as a wedge issue. The hard reality of years and years of cutbacks and austerity is a broken justice system, overcrowded jails, poor performing police, and delays in the courts. And it comes back to the Scott Benton issue. The Tories like the tough rhetoric, but the reality is they want it on the cheap. Labour may have joined the, I, I agree, it is rough politics, it's tough stuff. And they may have joined the Tories in the gutter on this one, but they have effectively neutralised that Tory attack line. The Tories can't come back on any of that stuff now about law and order, because for the last four days, people like you, Chris, frankly, with the greatest respect, have amplified the fact with your condemnation of it, that Labour are prepared to take this issue head on. Never again will the Tories be able to pull that stunt because the truth's out and it hurts. And it is a fact that uh, that Rishi Sunak has been a Tory MP since 2015, and that stat relates back to 2010. But really, it doesn't really matter. He's the leader of the Conservative Party, and he has to defend their record in government, which he's always very, very reluctant to do. Well... In fairness to you, Michael, at least you're not trying to defend these gutter politics. Um, I don't know if you saw the mealy mouth reply from Shadow Minister Lucy Powell on BBC Breakfast interview when she refused to endorse the interview. Uh, Yvette Cooper, she distanced herself from these adverts. Now, of course, when they wheel in the big guns like Shadow Attorney General Emily Thornbury defending the advert, then I cast my mind back to 2014 when she had a go at somebody in Rochester for displaying three Union, uh, three England flags on the front of his house during a football tournament in 2014. So if you're not going to take any advice from John McDonnell, I'm not going to be listening to the likes of Emily Thornbury, multimillionaire that she allegedly is. Keir Starmer has announced he stands by every word of these adverts, but clearly Labour think that tackling crime and being seen as, you know, strong on crime is a vote winner. I think it debases politics. That's not me saying it as a Conservative with a lowercase c. This is just a fact. This is a massive own goal for Labour. And the biggest winners, strangely, will be the Tories. Now, your old mucker, Michael Crick, summed it up best when he tweeted, if I was the editor of Panorama, I'd immediately commission a programme in Oldham, Rotherham and other Labour councils. 
which experienced appalling sex trafficking scandals. This advert could come back to embarrass some major Labour figures. You must be embarrassed, Michael. Well, well no, no, I'm not a senior Labour figure, so why should I be embarrassed? I'm not in the slightest bit embarrassed by it. The reality is, Chris, politics is a rough trade and Starmer is in this to win it. And I'm not going to take any lectures from the Daily Mail or anyone else clutching their pearls from a newspaper that, frankly, waded into De uh, Ed and David Miliband's dead father and tried to condemn him for the way he ate a bacon sandwich and then being all high-minded about no personal attacks that was somehow involved in this Queensby rules of politics and lay off poor little Rishi. Now, nah, I'm sorry. And as for bringing up em Emily Thornberry, she basically put one picture up of someone's house with welcome to Rochester. I don't recall her attacking, as you describe it, as photographing someone's house without comment. But go on, knock yourself out. The Tories' reaction, frankly, has been pathetic. Forgetting their attacks on Gordon Brown, letting out criminals with their poster in 2010. It's a reminder to people that Rishi Sunak is in charge. The Tories have been in power since 2010 uh, for 13 years. And if there are things that you don't like, then the government, not the opposition, are responsible for them. Now, I can see I've got you vexed there because you keep banging the table like this. That's how angry you are. Um, but uh, no, listen, I mean, it's indefensible. I am angry about Tory hypocrisy and running this country's public services politics. down. You talk about the Daily Mail. This is the same Daily Mail uh, where Keir Starmer explained why he's still standing by these adverts. So it's interesting that that, that, that Keir Starmer is now, um, I'm not saying cozying on up to the Daily Mail, but you no, never expected do. to have seen that story in the Daily Mail before. No, good. I'm glad he did. Good. They have but, to. Yeah, well, it, they, they, yeah, absolutely, they do have to. They do have to be seen as a broad church. Um, but I think we can agree that advert was absolutely, it was, it was, and it was that particular one. It was the one with um, the first one. I, I can, why, I can why, with, why are you losing your mind? I'm not losing one, my mind over, over it. Why I'm, are you losing your mind over one advert? Because when because, actually we've got our public services on their knees. Yeah, people's living standards absolutely collapsing. We've got crime, as I've described eloquently on this podcast before, if as in, in your words, the absolute state of our public um, criminal justice system. And yet, don't be rude about Rishi. I'm sorry. It's not about being rude about Rishi. Politics is a dirty business. We get that. And when you put yourself up in public sector, you know, then then you stand, you know, you stand up to this and you expect it as well. But let's not forget, you know, we're talking about an industry. We're talking about life as a politician. And I think the likes of Scott Benton deserve to be chastised for what they did. But let's not lose sight of the fact that MPs have been killed. Cross-party MPs have been killed doing their job. Um, you know, and what we have is we have adverts that that debase politics. We have adverts that basically point the finger at Rishi Sunak. And some people, yeah. some people aren't articulate enough to look at that advert and to actually work out what's fact and what's fiction. But that's what the Labour Party want. Um, it, it's wrong. It's indefensible. But I want to move this conversation on away from. I bet you do. Yeah, away from. Well, it's, we need to move on. Um, let's talk about the Confederation of. British industry, the CBI. Um, I want to get your opinions on that. Obviously, you're a business journalist like me. I've watched with interest what's happened at the uh, the, uh, the the imploding of the CBI. It follows an investigation uh, in The Guardian in which more than a dozen women claim to have been victims of various forms of sexual misconduct by senior figures at the CBI, including one who alleges she was raped at a staff party on a boat 
on the River Thames. Uh, I think the CBI are investigating, but it does plunge the CBI into its biggest ever crisis. What's your view on this, Michael? Yeah, well, breaking news alert, Chris. CBI boss Tony Danker has been sacked over those misconduct claims. And uh, and this one's going to run and run. It's interesting that the Times newspaper in particular has been running a series of opinion pieces over the last week saying that this is the end, that there's no actual um, future for the bosses' union. Uh, obviously, uh, what we were going to talk about was that you know, obviously the inquiry is going to have to run its course. We listen to you know hear from Sue Gray, all that sort of stuff. Not that Sue Gray is running the inquiry, but you see yeah. where I, what I was doing with that. Yeah. Um, but it does actually put a lot of focus on who speaks for business because they're typically seen as the voice of big business. Their heyday was probably in the 60s where they would be doing industrial deals with trade with the trade unions over beer and sandwiches in number 10 Downing Street and agreeing collective bargaining deals. I think they fell out with the Tory party over the referendum for the stay in the European Union because a lot of big business bosses wanted to remain. And obviously the right of the Tory party wanted to leave. So I, I do wonder though, I mean, do, do you take seriously the voices of uh, business organizations in your business? No, what I, find, what I find really interesting is um, I've been a journalist for over 30 years and I've worked predominantly as a regional journalist. As you mentioned on more than one occasion, I did spend 18 months at the Daily Mail um, as a shifter, incidentally. Um, but I think the problem with organisations like the CBI is when they get too full of themselves and, and they don't keep in touch with grassroots, which I would consider to be regional journalism, you know, local uh, companies, if you just focus on the enterprise businesses and you lose sight of the bread and butter, I mean, 99.9% .9 of businesses in the UK are SMEs, mm, employing yeah. less than 250 yeah, people. Yeah. So if you describe yourself as the voice of big business, then you basically say, well, we're not interested in little business. Yeah, I don't know what's going on at the CBI. What I do know is that there's a movement um, and once once organisations lose touch with their grassroots, then eventually it comes back to bite them. Um, in terms of the, um, the, the the guy, the uh, was the CEO, Mr. Danker, he's been Tony Danker, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, been yeah. sacked. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've not read the story. I don't know if that's because of his handling of the complaints. Um, you know, but no, he was uh, the, he was the subject of them. Was he? One right, of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just think I, I think what you've got with social media is social media gives everyone a platform. Um, and I think organizations like the CBI, I used to see the CBI have said, the CBI have said, what I hope it does do is I hope it sends a message out to the media as well, that when they're looking for a business quote, they don't automatically go for a think tank or they don't automatically go for an organization take like the CBI. The government have distanced themselves from the CBI in light of these investigations as well. Um, and they start to speak to real business. Mm -hmm. I, I saw a story, there's a lady called Celia Gaze who runs a, um, it, it's a business, they do hospitality, they do weddings, uh, in the Northwest and she was contacted by the BBC over the uh, last week. They wanted to do a story about how the hospitality sector were finding it really difficult in, in the light of everything that was happening and she said actually it is difficult, not going to kid you but we're doing really well and the reason we're doing really well is because of this, this and this and the BBC said actually we don't want you anymore you know <laughs> and she said well why? She said because that's not the message we're trying to convey now the BBC might say that's not the case um, I, I think it absolutely is I think what we have to do, we have to be representative of what's going on out there. And what we try and do in all Maybe spin, she wasn't representative. No, but the point was is that the BBC had an idea that her, they wanted her to Her experience write. ran counter to the data. Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. know, the BBC wanted to do their story and they wanted a case study to illustrate yeah. you know, the message. You know, however, they could have still run the story and said, here's a business 
who have experienced difficulties, but they're bucking the trend, et cetera, et cetera. Rah, rah, rah. Good news, eh, Chris? Well, good news on a Friday, LinkedIn. You love it. <laughs> but the thing is about CBI, they charge an awful lot of money for membership. And I wonder how sustainable it can be for a one voice for business organization in these days. How can it speak for suppliers to supermarkets, for example, when their biggest um, their biggest um, biggest fee-paying members by number of employees is or Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda, and all the rest of them. And regionally, I've tried to pursue this story, but I've been stonewalled by the regional director, disappointingly. They want us to publish press releases about their dinners and their new offices, but not an issue of genuine public interest. But anyway. Well, with that thought-provoking first session of Northern Spin, we go to our break. I've interviewed plenty of business leaders in my time in journalism. When it comes to making big decisions, a lot of the leaders that I've interviewed use their PA or their EA as a big sounding board. And that's where Lily Shipping come in. They're a specialist recruitment agency for HR and business support staff. With bases in London and Manchester, Lily Shippen recruit a range of roles, including executive assistants, personal assistants, office managers, receptionists, HR business partners, and many, many more. They don't just know how to recruit HR and business support staff, but they know when to recruit. So if you're an MD, CEO or business leader, remember the name, Lily Shippen. Welcome back to part two of the Northern Spin podcast. In this bit, we discuss who's on manoeuvres and we also have a little look at if there's anything to see here. But first, on manoeuvres, Chris, who are we looking at? Well, I'm going to start with uh, your friend of mine, Carol Vorderman, the former Countdown star. As you know, she'll be appearing on our screen soon in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, South Africa. <laughs> That's already been pre-recorded, actually. Uh, she turns out to be best friends with Helen Flanagan. I know you'll be interested by that. Now, um, Carol Vorderman regularly calls out people on Twitter, including her old friend, Michelle Moan, and uh, her husband, Doug Barrowman, over their uh, PPE contract, still subject of a protracted investigation. Last week, Carol Vorderman uh, tweeted that a number of Tory MPs and councillors had no reference to being a Tory in their social media bio. And she invited her 700,000 plus followers to name and shame the culprits. Now, that initial tweet reached 2.8 million people. This is what I say, the power of celebrity. Now, four prime ministers, past and present, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, only one admitted or disclosed the fact they were a Conservative on their bio. Now, I know you'd have been interested in that. I would. I mean, they could they could defend that and say, you know, they act for all of their constituents, irrespective of which party they vote for. But I, I, I can see what she's doing there. Uh, Robert Largan, who's the MP in High Peak, pretty much presents himself as a Green, even though he's a, he's a Tory. But the really fun bit for me uh, with Carol Vorderman's recent tweets has been when she handed 30p Lee Anderson his arse on a plate oh, and when he told her she should try and act her age, which I just thought was typical Lee Anderson. She pointed out back to him that he put the apostrophe in your in the wrong place and added, at what age should an MP stop asking his mate to lie for him on camera? Which of course was a reference to an interview that Michael Crick did with him on the doorsteps of Ashfield in the 2019 general election, where he got caught out asking one of his mates to lie for him. 
Yeah, I, I think the thing with Lee Anderson is, and I've said before, I'm not... You like him, don't you? No, yeah, I don't. Do. I, I think, listen, if you said to me, would I rather go for a drink with Lee Anderson or Scott Benton, it would be Lee Anderson. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go for a drink with either of them. All I'd say is that Lee Anderson gets his communication a lot more effective. The problem is, is that Lee Anderson has to realise there are people who are cleverer than him. Carol Vorderman is cleverer than Lee Anderson. And you think she's on manoeuvres? Um, I don't think she's on... We don't swear, I don't swear on this podcast, as you know. I don't like swearing at all. Uh, but she just doesn't give us such and such. No. You know, she's, she's um, yeah, she's great. She's brilliant. She's honest. She talks about aspects of her life. She never ducks a question. She's the sort of person, to be fair, that if she was a politician, you'd vote for her, wouldn't you? Well, I think she's fantastic. And I love her brandishing her freedom to say what she wants. And she takes on anyone who dares to try and chip away or make sly digs at her, like the right-wing blogger Guido Fawkes. And it's going to get nastier. It's bound to, because as I've said before, the Daily Mail, the Sun, the Express, they really don't like a woman who's getting above their station. Anyway, but you've not finished with Carol, have you? What, 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 what else? What no, else? absolutely. Absolutely. I am a big fan of Carol Vorderman. Um, she keeps making headlines. You just can't, uh, just can't ignore her. Good. I want to talk about a subject which is getting quite a lot of airtime, which is uh, the growing controversy around sewage being pumped into our rivers and seas. Now, there's a website called Surfers Against Sewage. Now, it might come as a surprise to look at me with my flowing locks. I'm not a surfer, but they've created a list called Top of the Poops to show how long sewage overflows have been pumping sewage into designated bathing waters during the 2022 bathing season, which runs from May to September. And according to the BBC, in 2022, raw sewage was pumped into rivers and seas on an average 825 times a day. Now, Environment Secretary Trees Kofi, incidentally, I looked at her Twitter account today. She blocks replies on her posts. I always think that's a, I think that's a sign of weakness from a politician. Um, she's not pulling up any trees on the matter. I don't suppose she should if she's in charge of the environment, but she's not, uh, she's not winning any friends and influencing people with her performance, I think, as the Environment Secretary. There's also speculation that Labour's Shadow Environment Minister Jim McMahon, MP for Oldham Western Moynton, interviewed him, quite liked him. There's a suggestion that he might be replaced in a Labour reshuffle as well. Suggestion is that maybe he's not making enough noise around the environment. I don't know. Jim, if you want to come on the Northern Spin podcast, feel free. Um, a person leading the charge on water quality isn't a politician. Wait for it. Fergal Sharkey of his, is famous for a good heart is hard to find. That was one of his famous songs. Um, he is now working alongside, wait for it, Carol Vorderman. They're both, they're both uh, had a bit of a loving on, uh, on Twitter recently. I think once again, it underlines the power of celebrity. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> if I could just update you culturally, Chris, uh, I have I have attempted to on this podcast from time to time. Fergal Sharkey was is probably best known as the lead singer of the Undertones, a Northern Irish new wave band, best known for their epic anthem "Teenage Kicks" or "My Perfect Cousin." So maybe you should take a lead from me in future on cultural references. He also worked as the head of UK music until 2011 and is an articulate public figure for the music industry and on copyright issues as well. He's a lifelong fly fisherman who's campaigned against the the pollution of British rivers, particularly those in chalk streams and the regulations of the water industry, which impacts on British water resources. And he gave the keynote address at the Rivers Trust Autumn Conference in 2018. So it's, this isn't just some flimsy celebrity deciding that he wants to wade in on some campaign. He's a genuinely a serious public figure. Now, one of my favorite TV series of the last few years, maybe it was a, a lockdown thing, um, 
was uh, Mortimer and Whitehouse gone fishing and Fergal popped up on that to discuss the environmental pressures faced by Britain's rivers during a conversation on the River Lee with um, Paul and Bob. Did you see that? Um, I've seen some episodes of Gone Fishing uh, with Mortimer and Whitehouse. Where I think Fergal Sharkey comes across really well is he comes across as authentic yeah. and having genuine passion. What I don't like is celebrities who basically, you know, you know, take the, take a shilling and then they suddenly start talking about something. He yeah, is really he's not authentic. doing that at all. No. That, that's why I mentioned his advocacy for the music industry. He's a really smart guy. Obviously, he was musically very talented, both in his solo career and, and his time with the undertones. He, he also said really generously... I mean, a lot of bands, they're getting back together and doing these nostalgia tours because, you know, old people like me like going to, to gigs, seeing their favourite bands who they maybe missed in their heyday. And he went, no, nah, I think it's time to give other younger bands a chance to take to the stage rather than old guys like me. I love that about him. Um, incidentally, we did a story on Business Desk last week. My colleague Neil Hodgson did it. United Utilities put out a particularly... Um, tub thumping statement about how great they are on environmental issues. He asked them to comment more specifically about pumping sewage into our rivers, lakes and seas, and they refused. What's interesting, you look at the amount of money that's being pumped into tackling the issue and United Utilities that covers the Northwest, they are by far and away the company that is giving the most money to that, but by the same token, I think they're also they've got the worst in, problem. They've got the worst problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just mentioned tribute acts, and you, you mentioned not not tribute acts. You mentioned acts coming back together and doing yeah. musical scenes. How sad was it about Paul Casimol from S Club Seven at oh, the age of forty six yeah. dying last week? You yeah. know, just after they revealed they were going to do a reunion, I just yeah. thought really when people that. die who are younger than you, it seems to bring it home a bit more. Yeah, it does. Really sad news. Mm. So come on, you think Fergal's great, then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, even though, incidentally, um, I, I was never a big fan of the undertones. In fact, I was probably too young when they came out. But, you know, you know, a good heart is hard to find. I'm just speaking for the masses, Michael. You know, you might ridicule me for my lack of cultural references, but that's the song most people know Fergal Sharkey for, whether you like it or not. Uh, Fergal Sharkey as a solo artist, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Come on. Well, I want to talk to you Come about on. another story um, because, uh, and also, once again, on Northern Spin, we're not afraid to reference other publications and other websites. I know some organisations, they won't reference the good work of organisations like Business Desk, but The Mill, they had a headline in a story that I spotted, spurned by Labour. I thought this might be talking about you for a second, Michael, so why I started reading it. <laughs> spurned good. by Labour. I'll give you that one. That's a working good. class journalist, don't worry, a working class councillor tries to mount his comeback. Not about you, it's about a guy called Matt Wynn. What's going on here? Yeah, so I know Matt Wynn. I worked with him last year when I was working for the Stockport Labour Group. He describes himself as a cult survivor. He was a left-wing Corbynite who joined the Labour Party after Jeremy Corbyn got elected. Um, he's only in his early 30s. Um, and he fell out with the people who surround the hard-left Labour MP for Stockport, Navendu Mishra. The local government committee in Stockport, which is dominated by allies of Mishra, deselected four sitting councillors and caused real distress. Full disclosure, I worked on their appeals to the Northwest Regional Labour Party. Two weren't successful, including Matt. It also coincided at a really, really tense time in Stockport because it coincided with the death of Labour stalwart Sheila Bailey, councillor for over 30 years, who I worked closely with and got on really well with. Matt was very close to her. They were both councillors in the Edgeley Ward. And the hard left had tried to deselect Sheila the year before as well. Nav Mishra didn't even go to Sheila's funeral. A sitting councillor 
in his own constituency, where he's happy to have her on leaflets because she was hugely popular, but he didn't even go to a funeral. And if he had done, he would have seen a very powerful eulogy at that funeral from Sheila, uh, from Matt about Sheila. Now, I, I, I tried really hard to keep Matt in the Labour fold. Elise, the leader who we've had on this podcast, uh, promoted him into the shadow cabinet. Elise Wilson. Elise Wilson. Yeah. Um, she promoted him into the shadow cabinet, tried to channel his talents in, the, in a positive direction in the time that he had as a councillor. But he decided by that point that he wanted to be part of a very different future, and he walked. He's now assembled an independent group on in his Edgeley ward and he's working very hard to get them elected and it's certainly going to be one of those results to watch in May. There, there has been the rise of a lot of hyper-local parties in uh, around different pockets of Greater Manchester and there, there's one in Heal Green in Stockport. They've consistently returned the independent ratepayers group to represent them rather than one of the mainstream political parties and um, Matt's going to be giving it a good go in Edgeley. When uh, you know when we first came up with the idea, I approached you for the idea for Northern Spin, um, and I went across to see you. And it was uh, about the time that um, Sheila Bailey had died, and uh, they were planning for the funeral. You were very upset, actually, genuinely upset by it as well. Um, I do find it strange, and I don't know the background to this story, that the um, the serving MP wouldn't have attended the funeral. I'm sure he had his reasons, but uh, it does seem very peculiar. Um, something I want to talk to you about as well, and we've touched upon it in previous episodes of Northern Spin, it's the rise of the far right in the North. Um, the far right's uh, Britain first party is standing in Walkden in the Salford local elections. I, I generally don't think want to give the candidate too much airtime because I think that's what they want. Um, but it's probably worth just giving a quick recap on the history of the far right in the Northwest. Yeah, I'll, I'll just touch on it briefly, if you don't mind, because I think we've got a lot of other things to get on with. Hope Not Hate, who are the campaign group against organised fascism in this country, are running a counter campaign in Walkden. So well done to them. You see, these low turnout elections, Chris, I think they can result in strange results. And we've seen hyper-local candidates do well as a result of that, but also sometimes uh, they've been infected by basically fascists. In, in Burnley, uh, probably about 15 years ago, a few of them got on the council and they were terrible councillors who all eventually got voted out because they, they didn't do what they're meant to do, which is look after the people. Um, frankly, the Tory party seems to have welcomed a few of these types into the party in recent weeks as well. And we that's one of the reasons why Scott Benton's fallen out with respectable local conservatives in Blackpool South. And uh, yeah, that's where they seem to be finding the place. Again, coming back to Stockport, one of their councillors was booted out of the party as well for uh, racist tweets. Yeah, and, and there's no place for racism in society uh, or politics or anywhere else or sport. And I noticed we're coming up to the uh, coming up to the local elections take place at the beginning of May, and because obviously Parliament's in recess at the moment, you're seeing the MPs in their areas. Keir Starmer's been doing the rounds in the north, as has, to be fair. Rishi Sunak. I noticed uh, Keir Starmer went to Burnley last week. I think he went to Burnley College. Um, now, Starmer said, and I thought this was quite telling, Starmer said that Lancashire wouldn't have to wait long for a devolution deal under a Labour government. We've spoken before about the issues with Lancashire. Obviously, you've got, you know, you've got an elected mayor in Manchester and Andy Burnham. You've got Steve Rodham in Liverpool. You've got elected mayors in Yorkshire. There isn't any hint of an elected mayor in, uh, in Lancashire. They seem to be reluctant to have gone down this route. I think Starmer is putting the ball in Lancashire's court and saying, "Listen, if you want to be, if you want to have a seat at the big table, you've got to, you've got to have an elected mayor. You've got to go down the devolution route." And he's marking their card early doors. Anything to see here? Yeah, I think there's quite a lot to see. Um, 
it's consistent with what I'm hearing in, in Lancashire. We had a round table up in Lancashire at County Hall in Preston recently. I spoke to um, Council Leader Philippa Williamson, who's a Tory. And I see I can talk to Tories yeah. civilly sometimes. <laughs> did you um, like, did you like hold your nose at the time? No, I, th- I think she's all right. I quite yeah. liked her. Um, I think Lancashire has to get past structures and focus on outcomes more. Um, it was interesting in Jeremy Hunt's speech after the budget, you know, the new devolution arrangements. It did say that they don't, I think Lancashire's got stuck on the idea of a mayor. They don't really want to have one. So they can, they've actually said in legislation that they could call it a governor or a leader, maybe directly elect them, or maybe it could be someone. The trouble is Lancashire's a two-tier county. So although Philippa Williamson is the leader of Lancashire County Council, it doesn't run any services whatsoever in Blackpool or in Blackburn. They're effectively unitary authorities, so it, it doesn't have the same kind of uh, kind of influence as as a combined you've authority. Got, you've also got like borough councils as well, like like Chorley, South Ribble. Yeah, um, but they're, they're they're what's called a two tier system. Yeah. So Lancaster, Chorley, Ribble Valley, and um, Pendle. They're uh, they're they're they are two tier because Lancashire delivers some of the services at a county level, uh, but it but it's not uniform across the county. So that makes it a bit of a muddle. But I don't know. I think as a county, as a brand, Lancashire really does miss out because of a lot of parochialism that I think holds it back. And there's a certain lack of ambition around a lot of places. Preston in particular has been a real letdown for me. Mm. I don't think it really knows what it is. It's kind of caught between two things as a a kind of an ordinary Lancashire town or, or potentially, you know, Britain's most exciting new city. And I think they've missed out, really. Yeah, no, I, well, I live in Lancashire and I drive into Preston on a regular basis as well. And they are doing some stuff in Preston. I mean, the roadworks there must be the world's slowest roadworks. But there's this big sign on a roundabout near to where I live and it talks about this big deal and how it's changing Lancashire. I don't see it with my own eyes. I see it when I drive into Manchester. I don't see it in Lancashire. And uh, that's a big failing. Anyway, let's go to our section on manoeuvres. Who do you think is on manoeuvres this week? You mentioned a name last week. So I'll be honest with you, I've never heard of. He's not my cup of tea, but I've uh, been keeping an eye on him recently. You did a piece about political grifters uh, on the podcast last week. And you mentioned a guy called Matt Goodwin. And I've been keeping an eye on him on Twitter. I don't follow him. I'm not going uh, to boost his following. He's been all over Twitter this week. He appeared on GB News. Uh, challenging the likes of Alistair Campbell to challenge him on the context of his new book. Campbell's response made me laugh. He said, right-wing grifter with book to flog, begs around for people to take his culture war. Is it pronounced legatum or legitum? Legatum. Legatum. Yeah. BS, like- seriously. Um, and there was also another line as well where he challenged, uh, I think it was uh, O'Brien, one of the... Uh, James uh, O'Brien. Yeah, James O'Brien. Yeah. yeah, he challenged him to a debate as well. And I think Campbell said something at the lines of, it's a bit like Torquay challenging Arsenal to a football match. Um, <laughs> but it was something like that. It, but that's yeah. where that's where Campbell gets it spot well, I'm on. I'm going to set you a challenge. I, I, I'm surprised that you're deciding that you want nothing to do with him. I, I actually think a lot of his ideas that he espouses, I'm, I think you quite like it. No, I think... I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he's any kind of right-wing fascist or Brexiteer or anything like that. But I, I, I think culturally, I, I think you should delve into it and I'd be interested to get your take on it I will rather keep, than just accepting what me and Alistair Campbell have to say. Uh, no, well, you and Alistair, no, I will I will keep an eye on, on Matt Goodman. It's the reason I mentioned him before, actually. But, but clearly, he's on manoeuvres. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I'll tell you what um, is really, really good, though. So... Um, James O'Malley, who's an author, asked ChatGPT to turn his favourite long-running ap- academic Twitter beef into a vicious and devastating rap battle. Yeah. And here it is with hilarious consequences. Do you want me to do it in a rapper's voice? Is this with 
Rob Ford. Yeah. Okay. So Professor right. Rob Ford yeah. at the University of Manchester. We yeah. spoke about him on the podcast yeah. last week. Really great sophologist. He works on the British Election Survey. He wrote a book with Matthew Goodwin called Revolt on the Right about UKIP yeah. about uh, nine, ten years ago. And, and they've fallen out. So yeah. they have this long-standing beef, right? Me and you should do a rap battle. Well, I tell you what I'm going to do. Do you before, know what rap music is, by the way? Yes, I do know what rap music is. Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, even I don't like it because of the swearing. Um, <laughs> before you do, before you do this, right. I need to just as a just as a friend. You know, you know, we are loosely friends, but just as a friend, a lot of people are liking your impressions and your accents recently. You know, like Burnley, a lot, uh, absolutely, a lot's working quite hard there. Yeah, a lot, maybe two. Um, <laughs> I include Rachel, uh, your wife, as one of those two. The point I'm making is this. If you get this rap wrong, your career as a voiceover artist is over. Okay. But if you want to go ahead with it, then, okay. uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. So the tradition in rap battles, which our young people who produce this podcast may confirm, is that one person has their piece and then the other responds, right? Okay. I think you need to do the first verse in a slightly different voice to the second so that our dear listeners know this is when you're going to test your, your skill. Yo, it's Goodwin, national populism's king. I see you, Ford, with your weak Brexit swing. My books are game changers, critics acclaim, while you're just clout chasing trying to ride my fame. You can't step by me. My stats never lie. You'll be forgotten, Rob. Just a footnote in time. I call Brexit right. My insight's precise. You're like a broken compass giving bad advice. That's well, good, though, isn't it? To be honest with you, mate, I thought they were in the room right then. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought, where's Eminem? He's here. He's. Uh, I actually think, you know, I know you like... Rob's response? What is the... What, what is Rob's response? Rob's response. Ford's in the house, ready to debunk. Your populist claims they're just academic junk. I'm a sophologist studying UK's divide. You're a one-hit wonder, wonder, Matt. Just enjoy the ride. You think you're so clever, but I see through your game. My work with John Curtis makes your research look lame. I got the real data. My analysis is tight. You're just a loudmouth, Matt, trying to pick a fight. What? <laughs> He's literally... Yo. He's literally just dropped the microphone. Um, <laughs> there. You know, you know. What, what's worrying is just how how clever Chat GPT is. Because, it is. That's uh, really good, actually. Yeah, that is really good. Terrifyingly good. We might have to say to people, write a script for next week, and then it can save us about three weeks of time. Yeah. Um, so basically, Matt Goodwin's thesis is that there is a metropolitan liberal elite controlling society, and that left wing podcasters and radio broadcasters, Gary Lineker, um, people in the media, Emily Maitlis. James O'Brien. She's a friend of mine, Emily Mayles. Uh, your, yeah, I know you, I don't really like that your mate thing, but yeah. anyway. Um, so I think you should delve into it. I, I would be interested in what you think if you read some of Matt Goodwin's pieces. Yeah, I, I'm, listen, listen. I'm setting you some homework. No, absolutely. What I do is after a podcast, I listen back to it. And I'm not going to be rude to you. No, I listen back to it and then I form an opinion, but I didn't know who Matt Goodwin was until you mentioned it last week. And he's been writing in the Daily Mail, the Times, yeah, the yeah, Express. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's got a book to promote. Absolutely, you know, but I want to educate myself about all these things. I want to talk to you about somebody else um, in terms of on manoeuvres, who I think is on manoeuvres. I've got this theory in life that what goes around comes around. And I I think people who are arrogant and who look down on people, eventually they get their comeuppance. Now, Paul Mason so, is a name. Sorry about that, Chris. No, Paul Mason is a name that will be familiar to some people. Former Newsnight, BBC Newsnight, Channel 4 journalist, who's desperately, I mean desperately, trying to become a Labour MP. Now, Mason, of course, tweeted ahead of Prime Minister Liz Truss going out for a round of car crash interviews. Just for those uh, younger listeners, Liz Truss was, yes, she was, Prime Minister for 49 
nine days. And she did a series of interviews with BBC radio journalists. And he tweeted this, Operation Rolling Partridge. Liz Truss has gone to hit BBC local radio stations this morning where a bunch of sleep-deprived, non-expert presenters will throw her soft questions while she dodges the heavy hitters. Massive own goal. Gets back to the point I made about this Labour advert. These things come back to bite you on the bottom when you're least expecting it. Um, it's fair to say Liz Truss didn't perform very well in those interviews. She didn't perform very well as Prime Minister either. Now it appears Paul Mason can't find anywhere to be a Labour candidate. Stretford and Ermston didn't want him. He didn't take. Uh, he didn't make the long list in Mid and South Pembrokeshire. And I, Sheffield Central. Yeah, well, I read an interview that he gave uh, in Mid and South Pembrokeshire as well. He's making a lot of noise on Twitter. Clearly on manoeuvres, what do you think? Well, he is on manoeuvres, but he's been very successful. To be fair, he's been a fairly consistent mouthpiece against Tories, fascists. He was a bit of a gob for Corbyn during those years. And then he got caught out, secretly filmed saying Corbyn was useless and they should replace him with Clive Lewis, who he was uh, quite close to. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, um, he was a better journalist than he is a politician, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't read his book about capitalism. Well, I'll be, interested, I'll be interested to know. Uh, I'll be interested to know whether or not uh, he does find a seat for his political ambition. I'm not sure. It's interesting that you remembered that Operation Rolling Partridge thing. That's yeah. I think that was a particular low for him, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the th- that, that's what I remember. Mm. I, I am, you, you know, listen, it's a disrespect for other journalists, wasn't it? A hundred percent. Disrespect for other journalists. That's a rolling theme, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, people who do stories in national publications and don't give credit to where it was found and where that story first appeared. Maybe Quite we'll agree. touch on that in a third part of Northern Spin today. And now, uh, just one other name I want to mention to you in On Manoeuvres, uh, Middlesbrough MP, independent Middlesbrough MP. It's not an MP, he's the mayor. Sorry? He's the mayor. He's the mayor, yeah. What did I say? MP. Oh, did I? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the Middlesbrough mayor, Andy Preston. Mm. Uh, He's independent. Uh, We mentioned him recently on the pod because uh, Jen Williams of the FT, formerly the Mastroonian News, wrote that he had a obvious conflict of interest due to his ownership of eight properties in an area that he's tasked with regenerating. Anyway, he posted a thread this week claiming, this is what he said, in the last few weeks has been an underhand push by some people in Middlesbrough politics to deter me from standing as mayor. They dishonestly accused me of all sorts as they're desperate for power and a return to path failing. But I won't be bullied. I will, and he put that in capital letters, I will stand again. That's straight out of uh, uh, Donald Trump's handbook, putting everything in capital letters. Now, I've got nothing against Andy Preston. I generally haven't. I don't know if he's a good mayor or a poor mayor. I don't know. But when people come out on Twitter and say that I'm being a victim of an underhand plot, um, it comes across very much as I'm a victim handbook. Yeah, he is. He's, re- he's really playing the victim, isn't it? I yeah. don't really see the point of him. So M- Middlesbrough's not a big town or city. Is it a city? A town. Yeah. Um, it's got. It's part of... Teesside, the Tees Valley. So it's got Ben Houchen as one mayor and then they've got this other mayor doing the rounds as well. I don't really see the point of him. I don't see the point of these small places having directly elected um, non-powerful mayors with no polit- political hinterland. Local government's strapped enough as it is, so I don't really see the point of him. Yeah, no, I think it's a fair point. And on that note, we're going to go to a quick interval. Red Flag Alert is a Manchester-based data intelligent platform and they've produced a clever online tool called Growth Flag. Growth Flag pulls live data from a comprehensive data set and quickly shows where growth potential exists in individual businesses across the UK. Remember the name Red Flag Alert and Growth Flag.
Welcome back to the third part of Northern Spin, and this has been a really interesting episode with lots of debate, lots of different opinions as well. Now, Michael, this is the bit where I always say to you, what have you been up to in the last week? And what have you been up to in the last week, Michael? Well, it's been Easter, so uh, I've had a great break. I really enjoyed the, the, the Easter break this year, probably more than, more than I have in other times. Um, bit of football, bit of walking. So, yeah, all good. And I was particularly pleased on Sunday that one of my stories got picked up by the Observer newspaper. Sarah Marsh, the Guardian's consumer affairs correspondent, messaged me to say that she was looking into what has happened with a Manchester-based investor called Inc. & Co. and what happened when they took over a luxury sofa business called Maker & Son. And she's done a story on it, which I was really, really pleased to see. It's getting... Uh, national coverage. They've been quite threatening to us as well. So I'm pleased that national papers, as well as me and Kevin from The Big Issue in the North, are looking at this story. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the story, but um, I, I thought they would have credited you, um, just to mention the fact that you've been looking into this company before then, but but they didn't, did they? No. Uh, I, I, um, I mean... Do think, what do you think of that? Do you think they should? You know what? I'll be completely honest, right? Okay, sometimes local newspapers and sometimes publications can be a bit full of themselves and think to themselves, you know what, this story wouldn't have happened if I would not investigated it initially and breathed oxygen on it and created a life of its own. And then somebody else picks it up and runs with it. Um, now, what I would say is if The Guardian wouldn't have been aware of the story without the work of you and Business Desk, then they should absolutely have credited it. If they were working on the story before and then it just happened to overlap with your piece, then I've got no problem with that at all. It does seem a bit odd. It does seem a bit odd. And, um, you know, I, I personally, having known the lengths that you've gone to and having read the original story, there's no way, there's no way this story would have been the size that it is but for your investigation, uh, because but for your investigation. So uh, yeah, yeah, I would like to have seen the Guardian do that. It's the sort of thing actually that if you'd ripped something off the Guardian and published it on Business Desk and said, you know, this, that, and the other, and not credited the Guardian, not credited the Guardian or the Observer, then they would have uh, had their nose put out of joint. Yeah, quite rightly so. Um, I mean, last week, give a good example on Business Desk. We thought it was important to draw people's attention to the fact that the, St the Times newspaper had done a sting representing a private sector lobby group of one of our regional MPs, Scott Benton. Mm -hmm. And we credited the Times with it because I think it's uh, it's important to give journalists due credit. But that's, you know, that's my standards. I can't, I can't insist that everybody operates by them. Um, elsewhere, I've been interviewing people, following up stories, even met someone who used to manage one of your favourite comedians, Roy Chubby Brown. Yeah, yeah, he's not my favourite comedian or one of do my favourite like comedians. Him? No, uh, no, I, I don't like him. He's used a lot of bad language, doesn't he? So you know he's not my cup of tea. Um, some people, um, I'll tell you where I've been this week, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, the weather makes such a difference, doesn't it, when you are off for a few days. Um, and the sunshine was nice for at least three of those four days. I went to Rochdale last week, went to the offices of Zen Internet, the founder, CEO, Richard Tang's amazing man. Um, it's, they've got this huge office. I don't know if you've been out there, but it's like this American-style building it's absolutely huge the sort of thing that you'd probably see in succession your favorite tv program oh, yeah um but because of hybrid working they've now got three spare floors on the offices of sandbrook house it's cavernous um have you got any culture offerings for us this week yeah so you mentioned succession i watched the uh, the latest episode of that and all i can say is wow just wow i'm not going to do any spoilers but it has been what i've always said about succession chris is that essentially nothing happens yeah we're, we're pretty much where we were in episode one. Like this podcast, really. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's just a lot of scrambling around and fight, getting, vying for attention, but actually everybody's pretty much where they were. 
Um, not anymore. Yeah. Anyway, I've been listening as well to an absolutely fantastic podcast called A Very British Cult on BBC Sounds. Uh, fantastic listen. Basically, a highly manipulative life coach is exposed by two brilliant journalists and storytellers, Catherine Knight and Jamie Bartlett. I've met Jamie a few times. He did an event with me at Manchester Met University a few years ago. He's written some great books. He did the Missing Crypto Queen podcast and a TV series on Silicon Valley, as well as writing extensively on tech and democracy and radicalization. Um, I've also read a book over the weekend called The Key Man about Arif Nakvi, supposedly a private equity titan who's now facing jail in the USA for fraud. I like these investigations into fraudulent people. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I, what about you? What have you I, been up to? I, I don't know how you managed to read a book over the weekend. Um, as you know, I'm a massive Audible fan, but I never sit down and read a book. Um, yeah, I'm really glad to mention that uh, podcast, a very British cult. It's, uh, I think it's eight episodes, I think, six or eight episodes. Anyway, yeah. I listened to it. I've been listened to it over the weekend. I sent um, it to a few friends who are uh, business coaches as well and went, eek, what do you think of this? Because some of it, it can be, can't it? That whole, you know, retune your mind and reprogram yourself. It can seem quite, well, it's, it's manipulating your mind yeah. and the way that you think. And that's uh, open to... Um, yeah. Manipulation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The one thing we won't be doing is setting ourselves up as life coaches. And the BBC producing some really good podcast series recently, actually, and uh, all credit to them. I think it's important to give credit to people when they uh, when they produce uh, <laughs> stuff like this, really good content. Um, in terms of TV and uh, cinema, we watched a film Air last night, uh, Sunday, about Michael Jordan's and the deal that he did with Nike. Absolutely brilliant. Matt Damon's brilliant. Ben Affleck's very, very good. It's just a really, really, really good uh, film. Is it a documentary um, or a dramatization? No, it's it's a it's it's a it's 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 a fiction. I say it's fiction, but it's based on a true story. I, I read the Rolling Stones review of it. They said that aspects of it weren't really true to life but basically it was it was it looks at it looks at Michael Jordan when he was an 18 year old basketball player and there was a guy a guy called Sonny somebody or other who worked at Nike and he worked in their basketball section and he said this guy is a super talent he is a guy in the making we need to pin everything on Michael Jordan we need to put all our budget etc on Michael Jordan um, and it was how do you Nike who at the time actually weren't the biggest uh, shoe and uh, you know trainer company in the business um, Adidas and another company called Converse were bigger how do they alert, how do they pull Michael Jordan into Nike and you know, the rest is history because Michael Jordan turned out to be the best basketball player the world's ever known Very uh, good. anything else we've got a mutual friend called Andrea Wolfendale now me and Andrea share the same taste in crime drama she recommends all shows to me and vice versa she recommended one called Blue Lights I'll be honest with you she said that it was as good as Line of Duty which I think is a bit of an over exaggeration Andrea you know it's not uh, but it is very good it's, uh, it follows three probation officers in Northern Ireland serious but there's also some uh, comedic value as well I enjoyed that one um, I've listened to a number of podcasts as well about the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement um, really insightful because like, I'm 50 now so I was 25 at the time and uh, it, it seems it seems not that long ago like so many things when you get older they don't seem as long ago as they are there's this great line when Tony Blair says he says something along the lines of and uh, Alistair Campbell and, and everybody else were there at the time. You know, he says, now is not a day for sound bites. And then he comes up with this famous hand of history upon our shoulders quote, which has gone down in the annals of history. Well, it's a great line, isn't it? <laughs> you can't deny it. Brilliant line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've got a cherished piece in Northern Ireland. Um, obviously, it's been jeopardized a little bit by the antics of Boris Johnson. But um, let's, let's try and end on a happy note anyway. Absolutely. 
Very good. Right, that's all for uh, all for it now on episode nine of season three of the Milton Spin podcast. We're also on Apple Podcasts. Please review us. Don't forget to press the subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter at northern underscore spin one or watch us on YouTube. Thank you to What Media for recording this podcast. Our sponsors, Oscar Technology, Lily Shipping, and Growth Flag in conjunction with Red Flag Alert. Special mention to Elliot Taylor for providing the music. My name, as ever, is Michael Taylor. And my name, as ever, is Chris Happy Clappy Chris McGuire.